Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino. Today I have with me uh, somebody very special. His uh, ambulance ride home video was one of our first TikTok videos that we did. And uh, this is a gentleman who was involved in a shooting along with two other police officers. And I don't think anybody is unfamiliar of that incident. And when it occurred, uh, the whole nation was watching it unfold. And we're thankful that his recovery... Uh, continues and he's here with us today. So without any further ado, appreciate your time, Mr. Rob Holloway, Sergeant Holloway out of Georgia. Good evening, guys and girls. So well, you're 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 at home doing your continuing your recovery at home, right, Rob? That is correct. I'm doing therapy at home. That's good. I bet it's a lot better than doing it in 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 the center, right? That is correct. It is so much better. It was hard. I bet. Um, why don't you give us a little history about who you are and um, how you got into your law enforcement career? Okay. I worked in sales. I was 27 years old. I worked for a fire sprinkler company, and I was really wanting to be a cop. I was married, and I had a son, and I said, if I don't become a cop now, if I don't even try, I'm going to regret it. My wife basically said, why don't you try it? So I started out in the jail, and I worked there for about a year and a half as a local jail facility. It was almost like a high school reunion for me. (laughs) (laughs) I saw everybody I went to school with in there, so it was weird. But I actually learned I was wanting to be a cop, and Uh, I learned how to pat people down or search people. I learned how to talk to people. So when they told me, fuck you, they really meant it. It wasn't a joke. And I learned the ins and outs of people. People were very talented. They knew how to play con games with jailers. Mm -hmm. While I was in the jail, I I had more to me. I said, I want to be a cop so bad. It's not about carrying a gun. It's not about driving fast. I wanted to serve our community. Um, so I applied with the city of Carrollton police department. It took me almost about a year to get on there. It took a little bit of time to get on. Uh, I was able, I met, uh, Captain Sellers, Jamie Sellers, while I worked in intake when people brought them in the road off the road from being arrested. I made a contact with a couple of people, uh, Corporal Joe Gramlin and Jamie Sellers, and they, both stuck up for me and tried to get me in. And I went in for an interview with Chief Joel Richards and I got hired that day. Wow. It's awesome. And, yeah. I mean, the process didn't take less than a couple hours, which was very awesome. It's great. So I got hired on and I worked on the road. And the road, the city of Carrollton is 25 square miles. So it's not, you know, I mean, we're, we're smaller than the city of Atlanta. Um, and we have about 30,000 people, you know? Um, so I work on the road and the city of Carrollton is broken down by four sectors from the square. Um, so you think of where the square of the city is based off of, and we have four six sectors. Mm-hmm. Um, while doing so, each officer the shift is contained by eight officers on a shift and each officer works a sector. And then you have a backup that works another zone. Um, I started out as a patrol officer. My goal was to get to Sergeant. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to make it to Sergeant. So I started in 2007 and it took me uh, 13 years to get to make it to almost Sergeant. By 2018, I had gotten Sergeant. But along this journey, I had got become a traffic officer, which was all I focused on was writing tickets and working DUIs. I worked with Corporal Brad Easterwood, great guy. He helped me along the way, and Sergeant Greg Falls. Both of them were great guys. Uh, Greg Falls was my supervisor, and Corporal Brad Easterwood was my supervisor as well. But we only focused on nighttime DUIs, and we are a 
college town. So, you know, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, with all the Ubers and taxis, people still don't use them. And, you know, all we had to do was write tickets, work wrecks, work the UIs. Mm-hmm. While doing this, um, I had moved up the ranks. I, f- I was able to get corporal. And then during that time, I was able to get some classes I was wanting to get. I become a general instructor, a firearms instructor, and a firearms instructor, DUI instructor, a general instructor. And we don't, ha- we technically don't call it a SWAT team, but we call it an SRT team, a special response team. But I went through SWAT school for our Georgia State Patrol SWAT school, and I've been through sniper school. Along the way of my resume, I'm very happy. It's been a great resume that I've built up, and I'm very proud of. I have about three hour, three thousand hours of school, and that might be more uh, less than some people have. I'm sure, as you probably have a good bit of hours, you look very squared away, gentlemen. Um, we no, I appreciate. it. Actually, believe it or not, I I have more time logged into writing training programs with all humility and not trying to sound like I'm fancy. Uh, but I I do a lot of self-training. So there's a lot of time invested in the research that I do. Probably not as much as you in formal police training. I By the time my career rolled around, um, I had gone to three police academies in four and a half years. And they're a little bit longer here in New Jersey. And I remember them asking me, because I was a firearms instructor, to uh, go on the SWAT team. And I just I just didn't want to do it because I didn't want anybody telling me what to do anymore. I had a year and a half of being told what to do as a recruit three times over. Uh, so I just, I kind of like to uh, march to the beat of my own drum. And I just wasn't into the, I was more of a freestyle kind of cop who wanted to do my own thing. Uh, and to be honest with you, when they asked me about being a sniper, I just didn't want to lay in this in like the swamp and take shots every 45 minutes. It's just not for me. I understand. Yeah. Um, to me, it was like part of my, re- not a resume builder, but something I wanted. You know? Listen, I, very admirable, by the way. Don't take it any other way. I mean, really, it takes a lot of discipline to have the mindset to go into a SWAT position. No question about it. It's a, it's a serious thing, and um, it's, un- it's very uncomfortable at times. And if it wasn't for the men and women who do join SWAT teams, uh, you know, it's, it's a calling for some people, and that's a wonderful thing. Well, you're correct. It's not all about... The first day of SWAT school, our, the director of, our, of Gypstick, which is our training facility, is Chris Wigginton. The first day of SWAT school, he said something that really stuck out to me. He says, if you think you deserve to be here, you need to go home. And that, he's absolutely right, Dennis. You know, this ain't about being badass. And my first day, he had us running. And running up hills, I was like, I don't know that I need to be here. <laughs> you no, know, I mean, I was like, I didn't sign up just to run hills all day, you know. And it was great to be, I don't want to say humiliated, but humbled. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, because that's what it's all about. You know, and like you said earlier about uh, humiliated and being humbled by by this profession, about our peers, and about civilians that were around. You know, if you walk around all day long thinking you're badass, it's not going to do anything for you, man. No. People are not going to want to be around you. But in 2015, I become a corporal on night shift, and I've always worked night shift, and I've always loved night shift. Goons come out at nighttime, and all the good stuff happens at nighttime. And I call it all the juicy stuff, you know, because you have armed robberies, you have domestics, people get home, they drink. And um, armed robberies, thefts, burglaries. So 2015, I become corporal. In 2018, I become a sergeant. Over eight to nine men and women. And since then, it's been that way. On April 12th, uh, I got a call about Georgia State Patrol, which is just our highway patrol. Uh, for men and women that are not, you know, that in other departments or in other states, they have state patrols. Uh, we got a call about a shooting that just had to happen 
and they, a trooper was shot at and disabled his car. While being told that, my badge number is 229, said 229, be advised, a trooper was just shot at and his car was being disabled. While doing so, they were able to get a tag number to us, and we to uh, my whole shift. While doing so, we have a camera system throughout our whole city, and it's called Flock. Dennis, are you familiar with that? No. Great system. Anybody that is listening really needs to get this system. It is called Flock. I don't remember what the acronym stands for exactly, but Detective Hitchcock, uh, he's a lieutenant with the city of Carrollton Police Department. It's called Flock. Anywhere that is an entry to the city and an exit out of the city is covered by this camera system. What it does is it catches a tag number to a vehicle. So when you enter the city or exit, it catches that tag number. Well, the trooper got the tag number. When we punched it in, it was telling where that car entered in the city. It told us right then where it entered in the city at. So, and it show it don't really show a great picture of the driver, but it will show the picture of the car. Very quick and accurate. Great system. So mm-hmm. you can see where it benefits. So just say you have a robbery or the shooting that occurred or shoplifting or any kind of uh, Great system. So it's called Flock. Frederick Ocean Lincoln Charles King. This is how you spell it out great system i encourage everybody look into it but while doing so our carroll county sheriff's department what is um uh, agency that is works with is our county county agency they text me and show me a picture of the car well corporal cheatwood picks up the car on our highway bypass and says 229 i've got the car right here so i get in the right behind corporal cheatwood and we start a car chase. Well, normally when you have a car chase and two people are involved in the car chase, the second second officer calls the car chase. That way, the first car can focus. The first officer can focus on the car chase. So I call the car chase. Like what direction we're going in? What's our speeds? What's the the tag number? If I can see it, if it's occupied. While I'm behind Corporal Cheatwood, I hit the car with my spotlight and I can see a male in the back seat of the car that matches the description. He's moving around. Let me go back just a hair for a second, Dennis. When this call first comes out and given to me, I pull in a nearby store. I pull my AR-15 out of the rack because he supposedly shot at the trooper with a rifle. Uh, I pull into Tire Express, which is a tire store right near our bypass where the car come through at. I pull in and grab my AR-15 out of the rack. I charge it with a with a round, turn on my EOTech, lay it in the seat next to me. I planned on shooting through the windshield if I had to or if we get into a felony traffic stop or whatever was going to happen. You know, I didn't know what to expect. When we are riding down the road, we pick up the car. Corporal Cheatwood finds the car and says, hey, I have the car here on the bypass. And that's when I joined the car chase with him. And I call the car chase. I could send, I'll send you the link, Dennis, where you can watch my video, which is my dash cam video from the car chase. But in the car chase, I call it, we reach speeds up to 115. And I'm telling dispatch what direction we're heading. Well, I hit the car with a spotlight. I see a male going on. My thought process is we're headed to another direction to a city, which is Villa Rica. Again, it's about three miles from the city of Carrollton. Get them out there with stop sticks. We have a great relationship with them, but get them out there with stop sticks. Let's immobilize this car. You know, or be careful because I don't want anybody else being shot at. But we've got to stop this car. It's a threat to our community, and they've already shot at one officer. Well, while doing so, I 
see the gentleman moving around the back seat and Corporal Chiwa says the same thing. And Chiwa starts getting too close to this car. And I'm like, Chiwa, back off. We're too close to this car. Back off. I mean, well, and then Dennis, when doing so, that's all I really remember. I, that's the, the last thing I remember is waking up in Shepherd Hospital, which is in Atlanta, and doing physical therapy. Wow. But in my video that I will send you when we finish, you will hear me telling him back off and you will see rounds skipping off the ground and the bullets are hitting my windshield. I drive around Cheatwood and take the bullets. My personal belief, I drove around to save him to keep him from being shot. Wow. I have that mindset in my head that I am my brother's keeper. But I can't sit here and say that for sure that I did that. But I have talked to several people that it was, you can tell my intentions were to drive around Cheatwood and save him. And when me and you hang up, I will send you the link. When I go, when I see the video and told, I was told that this guy is a gang member and I'm shot with an AK-47, which if everybody knows a bullet about the diameter or girth of your pinky finger hits the side of my head right here. Everybody can see Dennis it about blows my head off. I drive across the median and hit a utility pole head on. And I, I mean, you got to remember, we we're going 100 miles an hour, so that's pretty fast. I mean, upon impact, that will kill you because of the Delta V, which is just a change in direction while going so fast, will kill you. But Cheatwood Parks comes over there to me, and me and him are very close, Dennis, and I hear him yelling and screaming on the video. It's bad. He's on. He's in tears almost, and he's telling dispatch to get help to him right now. And he's like, Rob, Rob, stay with me. And um, from what everybody's told me, my, hand, my, my brain was hanging out of my head. It was bad. Wow. Um, I have an exit spot out the back. They've had to piece my head, my skull together, and I have a metal plate. I'm going to try to get close where you can see. And I can see the top it. here is where they've pulled skin together and it has screwed in. They used a metal plate that come from Germany and they had to build it. Uh, it's supposedly the biggest metal plate that's ever been built to that this doctor put in. And his name is Dr. Grouper. I call him Grouper, <laughs> but it's Gropper. <laughs> But a uh, super great guy. He works for Shepard. But they built a metal plate with screws and put it in my head. And I was at the Shepherd Center in Atlanta. I had to do physical therapy, um, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. When I say speech therapy, it's not like me and you are talking right now. But it's cognitive learning. Like, so playing cards. Um, occupational therapy was learning to bathe and physical therapy was learning to walk. Dennis, I've been with my wife since 2002. They didn't give her any hope, told her I would never walk again. I would never run again. I'm going to tell everybody on here. I'm very spiritual person. I'm not going to hide my God from y'all. Dennis. One night I went to bed, I looked out the window, and I saw a parking deck next to us. It's two in the morning, and I saw the parking deck. God talked to me. He told me to go run on that parking deck. Keep in mind, this is COVID. This is April 12th. I said, I said God, I can't run now. They're not going to let us out of the parking deck. They would only let one person in at a time to come see me, and they were in very strict conditions. That night, I talked to her name is Jessica Burpee. I still remember the nurse's name. I said, hey, I told her this story. I said, God has talked to me about going and running this parking deck. I really need to. 
that day she took me to the mid-level of the Shepherd Center, which had a track around it. And if you think about it, Dennis, when you're running, you don't have both feet on the ground. Mm -hmm. I never have thought of that, but think about it in your head. When you run, you do not have both feet on the ground. She worked with me of swinging my leg back and forth like I would while running. I held onto the side of the wall. I began to run around the track. Wow. And this is only about a month in after I had been shot in the head. I had to have a pace car. I said, I need somebody to pace me. My wife is running in $150 Birkenstock flip-flops, Dennis. (laughs) If she is my pace car, I began to cry, Dennis, and praise God. That meant a lot to me, Dennis. Mm. afterwards I did physical that was my physical therapy I did an occupational therapy which is starting at ground zero I had to learn to bathe again you think you can do things I had to quickly learn that I can't do and it's like sometimes what you see in TV and we all know it's TV but I could do this. You try to stand up and you fall down is what it was like. Wow. Uh, The nurses would have to help me bathe. And like I said, I'd start at ground zero, just learn to chew food. I was shot on the right side of my head, but the left side of my head was affected or the left side of my body was affected. When I would chew food, I would keep, I look like a chipmunk with all food on the right hand, right side of my face where it would be balled up because, again, I wouldn't know to move the food back and forth on your face. Um, brushing teeth. I would not brush my teeth as good. Wow. Something I want to tell, tell the men and women that are watching this before I forget Dennis, this is a God thing. This happened on April 12th. I was a sergeant. You have spoke to me about training. I am a big component about training. Like Marcus Luttrell says, find a, find a way to win. Don't give up. My sister-in-law, who is Susan Reese, Susan Reagan, she had to have a kidney transplant a couple years ago. She wore a bracelet that said, never give up. Never give up the fight you're in. Never give up. I'm looking directly at y'all. Never give up. That that week, Dennis, of April 12th, I took my men and women. I looked around in the sergeant's office. Well, I'll have an office of my shift. I was like, we did training every Sunday, an in-service training. I was like, who who has never done this? So we had a courtroom that was in our police department. I made them walk in there. I smacked an officer on the butt hard as I could. I said, he has just been shot in the butt. What are you going to do? Show me what you're going to do right now. In the military, it's always kind of been known. When it's an important time to learn, they kind of talk a little bit slower and a little bit softer. When it's a time that they want the message to be received, they'll kind of bring it down a little bit where they can understand, but they'll also apply pressure to them, yelling and screaming, to make them work under pressure. Me and Cheatwood would yell and scream, trying to get them to think and put pressure on them that they that Bryce, Officer Bryce had been shot. What are they going to do? They applied a tourniquet to him. Well, how much do you weigh, Dennis? How much? How tall are you? Just right off quick your head. Yeah, six foot, 215. All right, so you're a pretty big-sized man, you know? Yeah. And we all know when I go to pick you up, 
when I scoop you up underneath your arms, the skeletal system is made to break at the hips. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yes. I just pick you up. You're going to break in half or fall apart in half more than likely. So I showed them a better way of picking people up and they used this method that night. I, a gentleman called Daniel Detweiler showed me this method. When you first let dealing with somebody, roll them over face down. You're checking for injuries if you can face down, you know, or face up. But the biggest thing is render aid where it's needed. Roll them over, cross their feet, come under an arm, grab their wrist, cross both their legs, and grab a pants leg, just kind of like scoop it with a finger. Hook it, pick them up. When you come under and you grab their wrist, they're mobilized and you can move them anywhere you want really quick. They did that method that night and saved my life. They mobilized me so quick, got me moved quick. I mean, if just they, there was only one guy there, Cheatwood, he's about your height and built. He, he can't carry me that far. You know, this is a good distance without wearing himself down. And I wanted him emphasize the importance of training you don't know everybody's level dennis you think what if i went uh did that training that week that was a re- god had a reason for me doing that he really did dennis <clears throat> I, it, it really is sir you're absolutely right Training is very big to me, you know, to the men and women out there, make sure you train. Dennis, you said that you you were a firearms instructor and you did some other instruction to other people we were talking about. How often did you find people that didn't know? You said you were a firearms instructor. I mean, people don't know how to operate their gun. Their gun is dirty. I mean, I've seen people with their sights rusty. How are you even shooting that? I see a smile on your face. You must know what I'm talking about. Scary. It is. You know, the scariest in my city. You know, the scariest day at the range for us. We had 200 minute agency was detective day. Yeah. We had detective day was a terrifying day for us. (laughs) That's so funny. You say that. (laughs) I can, I can, can, I'm telling you, I can relate. (laughs) Oh yeah. Dennis, you look so squared away, and your haircut looks the squared away shape I want my man to have because if you walk the walk, you talk the talk, and people respect you. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for noticing that. I get it, I get it freshened up about once a week. For, and to be honest with you, it's funny you bring this up. Um, I think somebody asked me recently, you know, why do you get a haircut once a week? I said, because it makes me feel good. You're right. That's right. I was very almost depressed while I'd been shot. It was like looking out the window, watching the kids play in the snow. And my wife went to a place nearby. It's called Toko Hills. She says, Rob, there's a barber shop nearby. Why don't we go? I had a scar all the way across the top of my head where they put a plate in. And I have always wanted a straight shave razor. Have you ever had one? Yeah. Well, I used to own a barber shop. Okay, so you're familiar. That was like a facial for men. It yeah, is yeah, yeah. Facial. They took me in there. She took me in there, and I got one. The The lady that did it, her name was Arena. She was from Russia. And, I mean, you know, you talk to people. We're cops. You know, like, hey, where are you from? You know, you got any kids? I mean, you can't help it. Mm-hmm. I've never treated my son like a suspect. His name is Grady. And I'm like, Grady, don't you dare lie to me. I know. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, well, a straight shave razor was what I loved the most. Dennis, it was just so good. Yeah, it's awesome. It made me feel like a new man. Like right. you said, like it's like getting a brand new haircut. As mm-hmm. you can tell, I'm bald. <laughs> but were you, bald before, you were bald before the shooting. I was. I've seen right. the pictures, Rob. I've seen them. 
You know what I mean? Baldur's beautiful. That's right. I I can't help it. I've been fighting baldness uh, for about 15 years. I take Propecia daily to try to keep whatever I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I'm 40, right? So I'm not too bad. I mean, you're the same age, Dennis. Yeah. I can't stress to you witnessing or telling to people your story, even your story about in life or just saying, Hey, you need to stand in front of a mirror. When I had men and women standing your shit in front of your mirror, draw your pistol daily at least five times just tell people your witness and make sure you make it right with people before you walk out that door tell your loved ones you love them could be the last time you love them i've been with my wife since 1998 we got married in 2002 and had my son in 2003 but dennis you never know when it's the last time you're going to see people. I had meningitis when I was in the hospital. The bullet's still in my head. And I will tell you, you know, I'm going to tell you this. While I was in the hospital, you know, I know I've been talking about God, but this, 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 I said, please tell me y'all got that guy, the one that shot me. But let me tell you how much enraged with anger I was, Dennis. Enraged with anger because the rest of my life is going to be this way. I've woke up confused. I have cried daily. From It has impacted where I've been shot has imp- impacted my emotions. Like, I just start crying. I don't know why I could cry now, Dennis. Yeah. And I mean, me and you are, I mean, you haven't even said anything to make me that way. It's just the way I am. Yeah. But I have prayed for them men that did this to me. Prayed. That takes a lot. You ain't kidding. But I forgive them. You know why? Do you know why, Dennis? I can take a guess, but I'd probably be wrong. I want to hear your guess. My guess is that it takes more energy to be mad than it is to forgive. You're absolutely right. And because God tells us to forget, forgive, to forget. I encourage everyone out there to do the same. We're all going to have enemies. But look the part and be the part. Dennis, how often did you clean your handcuffs? I was pretty up on my gear. Yeah. Use break free. And I, I test the people all the time. I'd, I'd make a bag of sugar and throw it in my back seat when I FTO people and see if they would find a gun or a knife in the back seat just to make sure they were up. Do integrity. Put money back there. Let's see what they're going to do with the money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you said, be in the park. I want good men and women out there protecting my city. There's no crooked. There's there is crooked police, and then there's not some. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and say there's not. I hate it, but there's crooked preachers, there's mm-hmm. crooked radio show host people. Oh, I'm just kidding. But Dennis. I just hate it for people. But being shot in the head hurts me. But that day, that day that you, me and you were talking about right before it's come on, I believe my best friend, Brad Easterwood, I've shared a lot of tears. I would call him at night and I was confused. Like, Brad, I'm going to be late for work. My wife would call him for me because I wouldn't stop. Brad, I'm going to be late for work. I'm going to be late for work. And he's like, Rob, focus on your therapy. He organized that ride home for me. He made all the phone calls and got all the people together. I have never seen anything like that. That showed me I needed that, Dennis. I was a part of my life. I needed that. Mm -hmm. That showed me 
my community supported me. Oh yeah. Very much so. And your friend is a, is a good man. He is. He is. A lot, man. A lot to go through. But uh, you know what? I look up. We're moving forward, brother. You know what? You got to see your kids again, right? I have one. And I want to share this with you as well. I got shot in April. A day before my, mine and my wife's anniversary, a day before it. In May was my son's 18th birthday. In May was his senior prom, his honors not. You look at how much I missed the dentist. I can't blame anybody other than men and women. I mean, other than men that shot me, I don't blame God. You know what? You you missed some stuff, but you're here for the rest of it. You're absolutely right. He went off to college and we got to move him in. And we helped move him in. And he let me move in. His name is Grady. It's a very unique name that you know, that's not a name you normally hear, Grady. I knit I, I caught joke around with him, Shady Grady. And he is the if people don't have kids, I encourage them to have them. Because I got four, I got four of them sons of bitches. Uh, you know what causes that, right? Um, my wife's attractiveness. Hey, brother, I can relate to that. Uh, not I haven't seen her, but mine is too. She's my queen. Mm. But that's awesome, brother. I'm glad to hear you have four. What's I their enjoy- name? <clears throat> well, we got some. We got some. Uh, we're in New Jersey, so we got some real Italian names up here. Okay. So we got Sal, Frankie, Dominic, and uh, Michalina, my daughter's name. That's very neat. They're definitely unique names. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I try to be different than everybody else in everything that I do. And I get shit for even having an Android phone. <laughs> I wanted to back up for a second and just... Um, I have a family member of mine. who's not my direct family. It's my wife's family. Who is terminally ill and she said something to me about three weeks to four weeks ago and something you just said about moving your son in and being thankful to be able to do that triggered uh, something I'd like to share with everybody and that's she's been in and out of the hospital quite a bit uh, again terminal cancer and she's a young young lady she's only a few years older than us Rob um, you know six five or six years older than us and she said I'm just happy to be able to sleep in my own bed And so I want people to remember that, you know, if you're seeing things negatively, there is somebody dealing with things maybe, and this doesn't mean to downplay what your problems might be, but sometimes it's as simple as having appreciation for the ability to sleep in your own bed. Um, I actually, in the past day, you know, it's the day after Christmas, it's two days after Christmas now, and we are in the middle of a pandemic again. And yesterday, my son, my number two son said to me, I have an earache. And he woke up, my ear hurts, dad. I said, all right, we'll bring you to the doctor. Uh, it took me six hours to get him into a doctor uh, because of the amount of patients that they are seeing. And I tell you, I, it's been a long time since I felt helpless. And uh, I, sp- I spent all day and all night getting medication. I mean, literally started at 10 in the morning. I was finally home with his medicine at nine o'clock at night. Uh, thrown up twice from the from the ear infection that he has. And I said to the doctor when she came in, who was very, very nice, I said, I just want you to know that I appreciate you being here and dealing with what you're dealing with right now. I recognize the insanity that you're going through, but please do not forget that it means a lot to me and us when we have a sick kid and don't know what to do for him. So as much as it hurts for you to be here and how much stress you're under, Believe me, it means a lot because, and I started to get emotional. I said, I just want you to know that I appreciate you. She's like, no, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir, for saying that. I said, no, I, I don't think you get it. I'm really serious about it because there's nothing worse as a parent than to feel helpless to be there for your kid. And um, my whole goal in life is to keep my family very comfortable. And I, I have a very blessed life. I've worked very, very hard to have the things that I have. and. There was really not much. I'm somebody who's obviously in control of things quite a bit. So to feel out of control 
looking for something as simple as a fix to need amoxicillin for my son, you know, um, it, it was, it was, it was a reminder of the people maybe like in Afghanistan who are stuck and these countries that have, you know, they don't have what we have here. They don't have the ability to just go to a doctor, even though it was a six hour wait, I still got to see a doctor. I can't imagine what it's like being a parent in a place where there isn't things available for your children and you have to watch your children suffer. So everybody needs to be thankful for the life that we have here. The things that you have that are good, no matter how bad it may seem. Um, and I think most of us have hit the lottery being in this country. And I think people need to really fact check the reality of how thankful they should be to be at a very minimum, an American citizen and put all the bullshit to the side about your qualms about presidencies and politics. The reality is, is it got crappy for me yesterday, but I was still able to get this kid the help that he needed. And in many countries they can't. So these two stories, I tell people with an intention on top of yours, Rob, of an appreciation for the smaller things and not panicking about the big things. You can continue to work on resolving the big things in your life, but try to appreciate what you have. And, and you know, you hear from a guy who obviously had a very, very close brush with death, who will live with what he has for the rest of his life. And Rob, are you, have you ever heard of a guy named Josh Fidel? That's sir. So Josh Fidel was an Atlantic City, New Jersey police officer who in 2015, 2016, 2016, uh, was shot in the line of duty, um, interrupting a, an armed robbery, got shot in the head, same place you got shot in the head. Josh works the company now. And he, uh, he's hysterical. He's a very funny guy. And he deals with a lot of the same things that you deal with. I'm going to tell you that one, I'm going to give you his phone number when we get off the phone. All right. I can't give it on the, uh, on the podcast. And then two, are you on Facebook, Rob? I am. We have a group called the street cop training survivors club. And it's meant for law enforcement officers who were severely injured in the line of duty. And that's the gate of entry. Unfortunately, it's not for everybody, but it is for a gentleman like yourself. So what I'll do is, um, I'll spell my name for you. You can friend request me and I'll add you into that group. And I think there's about 68 men and women in there who were shot. And, uh, you know, who were, who, and what they've said is this has been the best thing they've ever found for comfort and camaraderie with others who understand what you've been through. So I think it's a blessing that we got to meet today. And I, um, I'm going to get you into that group. And these guys and girls are, is they are just so thankful and they have, you're going to, you're going to meet some of the great best people. I think January 7th, they're having their next zoom meeting. So they all jump in and hang out for like three hours. Um, and I'll do my best to help facilitate the growth of that, that, that group. Um, but you're going to really, really like it there. And, you know, how about, a, you know, for me, it's, it's very rewarding and how it was the inception of it was we had our conference in Atlantic city. we brought in 30 police officers who were severely injured in the line of duty, whether it had been from a gunshot wound or a very severe car crash. And we honored them um, in a ceremony that lasted about two hours. We gave them Street Cop Survivor Awards. It's a big event. Um, we had Josh Fidel and Jesse Hartnett, who was a Philadelphia police officer, who were both instructors for this company, but have been associated with this company for a while. They handed out the, the, the awards. Then later on, we met in a room and I said, you know, guys, I think that since we're all here, I had this idea where we could create some kind of organization where you guys can be a support group for each other. Cause all I hear from all of you is you feel like you're alone, but you're not all these people are here. So we have, you know, like I said, I think there's 68 men and women in it right now. And then we actually have a support group for the families of those police officers. So it's the wives of the street cop survivors. So if your wife has interest in that, she's, and it's run by a, a girl named Abby Overton, who is Josiah Overton, uh, who's a police officer who was shot pretty significantly in the line of duty. If, uh, his his wife runs that. When you private, I just have tried to get on there a little. It's asking me to answer a question. And they get me on there, and I'd like to donate money. You know what? what whatever you feel you want to do, um, we, we've got some good plans for the future. You know, little by little, we're moving it along. But the the most important thing about that group is the camaraderie you'll find in there, and the people who understand what you're going through. And uh, Josh is a uh, 
he is completely out of his mind. Uh, and I think you'll enjoy a friendship with him. And I'll put you guys in touch together. He's uh, just about the same age as we are. He is hysterical. And, you know, I told him, uh, I, I'm just going to hire you to hang out with me. That's all. So, wow. uh, yeah, so he, he's, um, you know, that's what I told him. And um, it's been uh, it's been rewarding for me to get to know all of you. And I think you all give me a, a, a greater appreciation for my health and well-being and the things that, that matter to me in life. And I think that message conveys to everybody here as well. Well, I, I don't know how much time we have. You got plenty I, of time. I do want to say, Dennis, that you were touching on a lot of things. And I just didn't want to interrupt you, but you never know what somebody is going through. You never know. It could be, we deal with people on their worst days most of the time. And I like the way you, you, you brought up several things. And I hope everybody is listening because, and we take too much stuff for granted in life, Dennis. And like when I was at Shepherd Center, there was a guy that got hurt got his legs cut off because a woman was woman hit him while he was on a lawnmower. Wow. You know, you look at that and you, you know, we sit here and think how we don't even get out and exercise, but what would that guy do just to get up and run or do anything? You just never, you just never know what life is going to deliver you. And I think every day you wake up and open your eyes, you should have an appreciation. And, and you know, Rob, it's, it's a blessing to be given a second chance to get to experience what, what you know, even, even though with your, the, the disabilities that you've received from this incident, to at least have a, a cognitive mindset enough to appreciate watching your son graduate college, watching him get married, being a grandfather. Yeah. Those are things that you're going to get now that you weren't, that you almost didn't get. Yeah, the fight, the fight. I'm not giving up. And you're right. I could sit down on this couch right over here and just be like, you know what? I just don't, I just want to give up. But I'm not going to, Dennis. I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for myself. I didn't lose you, did I? Nope, I'm here. Okay. I'm, I'm actually trying to approve your, uh, into the Street Cop Survivors Club. I got I to make sure I'm a moderator on here. <laughs> um, I got to tell them to, to make sure they add me. But I, there's 79 members in there. And those are only cops who were shot in the line of duty because other guys have been inviting each other. Um, we got to get that girl out of there. She used to work for us. But um, admins and moderators. Yeah, so I got to tell them to make me an admin. How am I not an admin in this group? Let's answer the question of what agency... Don't worry about that. Well, I'm gonna have I'm gonna take care of that. Um, I'll make sure that I I just gotta text Jesse and make me an admin on here or Matt Salu- Matt Zaleski. Um, but you know, there's so many people in this world world that just give up and don't care. And I want to be somebody. And still, you know, my left eye I haven't really talked about it a whole lot, but my left eye doesn't have peripheral vision in it. That's I'm wearing prism glasses. You just can't tell. Mm-hmm. And when I got shot, I was having really bad hallucinations. Wow. Like to the part of little girls were walking by and I was telling my wife, I said, do you not see that small child? And I was given very vivid details, blonde hair, blue eyes, wearing dirty flip flops. And then like I was seeing a SWAT team across from me and like it was blooms of a tree that I was thinking was a face. What are some of the things that you still deal with now? Um, I've run into a lot of stuff on my left-hand side because I cannot see to my left as good because of my peripheral vision. Some of it is I get in a hurry, but if I'm in a store, I bump into people a, a lot. Um, I don't sleep good. I have like a nasal cavernal because I've been shot in the head. And the other day, I thought it was a rattlesnake around me, and I ripped it off and threw it. Wow. Um, that's really it. I mean, you know, other than that seeing, I don't, and I can't drive. 
Uh, right now, they don't want me around guns um, um, just because of my mental capacity. Like, you know, I still have to go through, be approved to be all around that because of how I haven't been approved yet to shoot. So I'm going to have to go back and shoot. I think it hasn't even been a year yet. Yeah. I think you, uh, I think you're doing a great job though. You know what I mean? I, but you know, it, as, as, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. As, as much as it may not feel like you're having progress. I mean, it's, it's tremendous to see you in the state that you're in and honestly taking the incident that has occurred to you and giving back through, I mean, you really are, uh, taking this thing and really turning around and using it appropriately to help others. Even this podcast itself is going to get, uh, people are going to find a lot of value in it. Believe me, they may go home and hug their wife a little bit harder today or their significant other, or maybe instead of watching football this Sunday, where the kids are playing, they, they sit down and play with the kids while the game's on things like that. Maybe taken out of the may taken out of this here. Absolutely. Praying to God. I mean, me and my wife got so got our faith got so much stronger. You know, but like you said, it's the little thing. It's getting that floor and play with that kid and quit worrying about TV. Hug that wife a little bit harder and tell them you love them. You know, that's what's so important, Dennis. Mm-hmm. Not not going out and drinking a beer or having a shot of whiskey and hanging out with the guys. That's, you know, it's not. It's that kid's going to remember you playing in the ground and the, on the floor with them. <clears throat> My wife's uncle said to me on Christmas, uh, they were thankful that we had something. And uh, he said, you know, I, I watch you a lot and I think you're a great husband and a great father. I go, that's the only thing that I'm trying to get under my reputation is for people to, and you know, I get that compliment a lot. And I said, you know, I, I consciously put a lot of effort into being those two things. And those are my two top priorities. Business-wise, obviously different. I have a big responsibility to the world now. So I show up, but I, I certainly show up for my family and uh, to no avail. I really don't find um, enjoyment with anything else except the things that I do. I mean, people are like, ah, you know, you should come out and have a drink with us. And I'm like, I, I, I'm going to find no enjoyment out of it. I, you have to understand that. I, you're not going to get me to, uh, when I'm there, I'll be thinking about this could be time spent with my children who, upon my demise, will remember their father as being the best that he possibly could be for us. And that's all. And that's a big thing for me. That's a, that's a big thing for me. You're right. You're right, Dennis. Amen. I'm proud to hear that. I really am. You know what's important is to share that with other people. And you were talking about the support group that you have on here and trying to instill that in people. Having a support group is fraternal. That's important to have. When I was hurt at Shepherd, I went to a place that was called Pathways. And while there, I was in a support group of other people that had a, they call them TBIs, which is a traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. There was people in there and we would all talk about being hurt, how it's affected and what we're doing to cope with it. And that's, I mean, it's kind of like what you're talking here, holding each other responsible, you know, and don't slack off. And that's what people need to hear. Because sometimes, you know, when they hear it from their peers, I, I feel like that affects people. You know, it's like you said, hearing it from you, hey, I, I don't need to go out and drink. Well, that right there tells me, you know, hearing it from somebody like you that I admire that makes me feel better about what I don't do. You know, I don't have anybody else to impress. I need to go home and love on my wife. Mm-hmm. And that make, I mean, that, that makes me feel better to hear that you're on the same level because, you know, people are going to respect you. You're running a podcast. And when they look at a higher peer, they're going to think the same thing. It's okay to be different than everybody else. And I make that point a lot. And I'm not judgmental about how you want to live your life. Um, I'm certainly somebody who is no stranger to partying with my coworkers prior to meeting my wife and having children. But once that happened, the shift for me was 
uh, I am now a husband and a father. I'm going to act accordingly to being a husband and a father. And uh, I was able to put blinders onto a lot of things because I just enjoy my kids so tremendously. Um, you know, and if you came to my house and saw what kind of toys I have, you would understand that. Actually, somebody said to me recently, they go, did you have a childhood? I said, why would you ask me that? And they, because, they go, because I don't think you had a childhood. I go, well, how can you tell? And they go, I'm, because look at this shit that you have in your house. She's like, yeah, and I was like, I never even thought of it that way. And this was a person who was, who was digging into me and said, how old were you when you think your childhood had ended? And I said, probably eight. And she said, that makes sense. So we have zip lines and rock walls and slides yeah. and quads and bikes and scooters. And, and we are the most fun. People say, oh, you know, there's always, you know, do kids come at your house a lot? I go, they don't leave. The whole neighborhood's here. Right. When it snows, we have a hill in my backyard. It's a good one, too. I mean, we probably have 25 people at our house. I get the quad out. I have a giant commercial tube. I put like three, four kids in at a time and I whip them around the neighborhood on the quad in the snow. Um, in the summer, we have I, I have commercial slides that go into the pool and down the hill. We did all sorts of cool shit. So it's a it's a lot of fun for me. You know, I always tell people, if you look at the things that I that I I guess, you know, spend money on. Tell me what about it is selfish. Show me which parts were for me. None of it is. None of it's for me. It's for the enjoyment of others. Um, and, you know, there are things that I have to do for myself to stay well. Uh, I, I work out twice a day. I meditate twice a day. That's selfish time to be selfless for everybody else because I've got to be correct so I can be correct for everybody. Uh, and there's a lot of discipline and there's a lot of responsibility that comes along with not only being a father and a husband, but um, a guardian and a, and, and, a, and a friend and an employer of, a, of, we have a lot of people that work here, you know, and they, they show up every week with expecting that the boss is going to make sure that they get paid. We have 20 full-time employees right now at this company. That's not instructors in the field. That's just in-house. So, you know, there's, um, anybody could do it. Didn't happen overnight. You can make the decision now to, be appropriate in how you spend your time. It can start right now. That's it. Oh, Rob, I think your microphone turned off. There you go. I heard something. Is that better? Yes, good. All right. So that's that's my piece on things, Mr. Holloway. You call me Rob. Yeah. Uh Rob, since we're so formal, <laughs> informal now, um, is there anything that you want to leave everybody with um, outside of the, the profound things you've said today from your heart and your soul and your spirit? Um, before you say whatever you got to say, I just want to say thank you for the level of sacrifice you've given everybody to take two people uh, into out of society, essentially and protecting others. I don't think people understand the magnitude of what you've given out of your life. And if nobody acknowledges you enough on behalf of the whole world, we owe you forever. And I just want to say this, if you need anything from me, um, certainly I'm, I'm merely a phone call away and anything within my reach that I can do for you, I'd love to. I would like to pray if you don't mind. Oh yeah. Okay with you. And just tell people, never give up in life. Never give up. It's it's hard out there. We all know it is. But in life, when you give up, I mean, it's not the battle. You've lost the battle. And I know that I know a lot of things are said by Marcus Luttrell like that by other people, but it's true. You know, Dennis, I could have just laid in bed and decided to give up. You know, I was in pain. My wife was taking care of me. I mean, there was just a lot of things going on in my life. And, you know, I, I, my wife was telling me, Rob, you got to eat. And it took me forever to eat because the food was horrible. I suffered from depression. But just keep going in life. And, you know, I would like for people to see some of them videos you know, and it's the videos you see that's shown at the academy. Those are real. That was like my video. Mm -hmm. and Jessica, you know, she has that video I sent you where I sent her. Mm -hmm. so, um, I don't, you were, 
you can put it up. It's on the news. So, but uh, what do you mind sharing your sister's name with me? Or is, I'd like to pray openly with her in front of, and everybody. Or no? Oh, my 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 wife's cousin. Okay. I'll yeah, just, yeah. Marissa's her name. Marissa. All right, mm-hmm. I'll pray real quick. Dear Lord, I just like to pray for the men and women that are out here, Lord, that are protecting their community and protecting this country as well, Lord. And I'd like to pray for Marissa that is a family member of Dennis's along with his wife's. Lord, thank you for what Dennis is doing, Lord. He is out here spreading the word for men and women to become knowledgeable about this profession, Lord. And Lord, iron sharpens iron. And I ask that you put a bubble protection around them as well, Lord while the men and women are out here policing, Lord, and just that way they can do the Lord's work, Lord, while they're out here protecting the community and to pass along that we are not meant to kill each other, Lord, and we're here just to witness you and pass your word along, Lord, and just continue to do the grace, Lord, and bless each person, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dennis. Excellent. Um, Rob, again. Appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to do this with us. And before I get off the Zoom call, I will, uh, because we can edit from here, but check out streetcop.com. Check out our Facebook group. All those things, you know where to find us. Just throw it in the Google and you'll find us there. Uh, appreciate everybody. Stay safe out there. Listen to the message that Rob delivered you. And uh, if you need anything from us, we're always available. Take care.